0: I truly think we are living through a watershed historical moment right now. I truly think that historians will look back at the past several years as key years in which global politics fundamentally shifted. There were tectonic shifts in geopolitics. And a lot of this has to do with the election of Donald Trump, with the recognition by European allies of the U.S. that the U.S is not in any way a responsible democracy, that the U.S. is a corrupt authoritarian regime and that the far right controls much of U.S. politics, not just in the Republican Party, but even in the Democratic Party. And so Europe began having a slightly more independent policy, although they still are really, many of those the countries in Europe, especially Britain and the Eastern European client regimes of NATO are still very much following whatever the U.S. tells them to do. And we also saw a tectonic shift in Eurasian integration, where the Trump administration kicked the new Cold War on China into hyperdrive. Now, to be fair, this is bipartisan, as always, as all of the worst U.S. crimes. It was the the Obama administration, the Obama-Biden administration, and the Hillary Clinton State Department specifically, that initiated the so-called pivot to asia which is a pivot to war in asia specifically a pivot to war on china so we saw the seeds the beginning of the war on china although you can even go back to the the uh, the george w bush administration and the neoconservative elements dick cheney wolfowitz those hardcore elements they also were taking a very hard line against china also Condoleezza Rice. They, so if you really want to go back further, you can see the hard line, line, the hard line that they were taking against China. But really, the current policy of the new Cold War, you can trace back to the, the pivot to Asia of the Obama administration and the rapid acceleration of the new Cold War on China under Trump. He really took it to next level all but declaring a new Cold War in China, all but making it clear that the U.S. goal is overthrowing the government of China. And what that did is it made China, which for many years, really from the 1980s up until the past decade and the rise of Xi Jinping as president, China had been lying low and biding time, as Chinese leaders had said. And its foreign policy was not very good many times china especially in the 80s and 90s would ally with u.s imperialism and then toward the end of the 90s as russia began slightly becoming more independent and and the u.s puppet boris Yeltsin was eventually pushed out of power and you had the rise of a more independent nationalist government in russia china slowly began having a more independent foreign policy and at the united nations we slowly began seeing a new voice emerging of China and Russia at the UN Security Council being slightly antagonistic, slightly pushing back against the warmongering Western imperialist powers. And especially since the rise of Xi Jinping, China's foreign policy has become much better, much more consistently anti imperialist, much more supportive of the global south, much more supportive of integration of the, the global South against Western imperialism. And as the U.S. has continued to encircle Russia, to surround Russia with NATO client regimes, has tried to back color revolutions in, in Belarus unsuccessfully, As the US, after the U.S. backed a coup in Ukraine in 2014, as the U.S. tried to orchestrate color revolutions inside Russia itself, this pushed Moscow further and further away from West, the West, and into an alliance with China. And when Vladimir Putin came into power, ironically, he came in as a pro-Western voice who was trying to continue the integration that Boris Yeltsin, the alcoholic U.S. puppet, had initiated. But Putin, as a nationalist, recognized that even though he is definitely an anti-communist, he recognized that the U.S., and Brussels simply would not allow an independent Russia with an independent foreign policy. And it pushed him further and further into this nationalist foreign policy that actually, interestingly, in a a historical, kind of very unique, um, kind of like a historical surprise, it pushed Russia under Putin into adopting a foreign policy that is quite similar to the foreign policy of the Soviet Union. Now, Russia is still a capitalist power, of course, but because the US-EU-NATO imperialist bloc prevented Russia from having its own independent foreign policy, it actually encouraged Moscow Moscow to form alliances with countries that were targeted by US imperialism, like Venezuela, like Cuba, like Nicaragua, like Iran, and like China. I truly think that the China-Russia alliance that we've seen coalescing in the past several years is probably the most important geopolitical development of the 21st century. More important than 9-11, more important than the invasion of Iraq, more important than the fake so-called war on terror. And this February, we have seen a further consolidation of this alliance The Eurasian alliance between China and Russia that is truly going to transform global politics. I wrote about this in a pretty lengthy article at multipolarista.com. The article is titled China and Russia Declare New Era of Multipolarity in Historic Meeting Challenging US Interventionism. So I'm going to talk about this meeting here between Chinese President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin in Beijing. Now, this was on February 4th. And I write in the article that that this very well well may be remembered in history textbooks as an important date in the shift of global politics, not only because it was the inauguration of the Olympic Games, that's secondary, but rather because there was a historic meeting between China and Russia. It was the first face-to-face meeting of President Xi and President Putin, since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Xi and Putin have regular meetings. They have regular digital meetings, virtual meetings, several times a year. They also have regular phone calls that are off the record, in addition to the, the numerous virtual meetings they have on the record. So they've become very close allies. And in this meeting... This in-person meeting, they further integrated their political and economic systems, and they announced a very important deal, a 30-year deal, in which Russia is going to supply gas to China via a new pipeline that it's building, which is called the Power of Siberia 2. And what's important about this is that both sides of this deal are state-owned companies and the power of siberia 2 pipeline that is being built it's going to be overseen by state owned companies from both the russian and the chinese side so this is not just some neoliberal capitalist trade agreement it's more complex than that we're talking about we're talking about national interests of countries it's to, the, china which has a socialist government and russia which has a capitalist government but with a nationalist orientation they recognize that there are certain things that are too important to to the sovereignty of their countries. There are certain national interests that are too important to leave to the free market, and they have to be overseen by state companies. So this is a, a major difference between these systems and the Western neoliberal, specifically the U.S. neoliberal system, in which everything is privatized and run by for-profit companies. Again, I'm not saying China, I'm not saying Russia is socialist. Russia it has a capitalist government but it's not exactly the same as the U.S. neoliberal regime. I mean, again, there's a lot to criticize about Russia's economy, and there's certainly a lot that can be improved. But we see that Russia recognizes that there are certain parts of its economy that need to be managed by the state and can't be left to private corporations. And of course, China has a socialist economy run by the, the Communist Party of China. And as a sign of their mutual efforts by both China and Russia to, to challenge the dictatorship of the U.S. dollar as part of their goal to de-dollarize. They're going to settle the sales of Russian gas in euros. And that's what they're doing now, although in the future they're tr- trying to move toward doing trade in each other's currencies in the Chinese yuan, the renminbi, and in the Russian ruble. Now, This meeting was important and that deal is important, but I think in some ways, even more important is a very lengthy joint statement that China and Russia, the the government's released after the meeting, which in many ways you could say is kind of a manifesto. It is 5000 words in length, and this statement declares a so-called new era now. China and Russia declaring a new era seems to be a very significant development. Here is the statement posted on February 4th at the official Kremlin website, kremlin.ru. Joint statement of the Russian Federation and the People's Republic of China on the international relations entering a new era in the global sustainable development. So what is this new era that they're talking about? And why do I say that in some ways this 5,000-word statement can be seen as a kind of manifesto. Well, they are outlining the ideological lines of the new Cold War. As I said, Washington is waging a new Cold War on China and Russia. The governments in Beijing and Moscow are not dumb, the exact opposite. They have a lot of very smart diplomats. They are very closely following every single move the United States and Brussels make To try to isolate china and russia to wage the new cold war and they're not just sitting on their hands they're responding and this statement it cautions against the new cold war it makes it clear that china and russia don't want a new cold war but they also say that if the us and nato and the eu are so insistent on continuing to wage this new cold war china and russia are going to defend themselves and They also make it clear that this new Cold War is not just a conflict over political and economic interests. It certainly is. But it's also an ideological conflict. Now, it's not exactly the same as the first Cold War, which was a global class war led by the United States as the center of global capitalism, with the center, the heart of world capitalism being in Wall Street. So in the first Cold War, it was a global class war. And the second Cold War is similar. There is definitely a class element, especially considering China has a socialist government and Western capitalists are desperate to try to overthrow the Communist Party of China to privatize the Chinese economy, to privatize the Chinese banking sector, which is in state hands. We've seen this very clearly with statements recently by billionaire oligarchs like the CIA asset, longtime CIA ally George Soros. You're not allowed to ever say his name, but George Soros has been waging a crusade against Xi Jinping and the Communist Party of China. And not just him, Peter Thiel, the billionaire who funds a lot of conservative and including so-called alternative media, that's not really alternative media because it's funded by a right-wing cold warrior billionaire, Peter Thiel, and other billionaires and the US government, they're all waging a new cold war against China because it has a socialist government and they want to privatize it. They also want to plunder and privatize the natural resources of Russia. And although Russia, again, has a capitalist economy and a capitalist government that certainly can be criticized in a lot of ways, it also does have state control over key parts of the economy, especially the hydrocarbons, the oil and the gas. And the Russian state has a monopoly over its energy and over many other parts of its natural resources. And it does have a kind of resource nationalist model of the economy. It's not socialist, but it's resource nationalist, similar to former leaders like Saddam Hussein and others, and in, in also Iran, which has a resource nationalist model. Again, they're certainly not socialist economies that, that any socialist is calling to necessarily emulate. They're not saying there's some kind of model, but they're categorically distinct. They're distinct from the U.S. neoliberal economic model that it it tried to impose on Russia, that it did briefly impose on Russia in the 1990s, that was a total disaster that destroyed the Russian economy, that led to a shrinking of GDP, that led to the living standards, the life expectancy of Russians to decline and people in the other former Soviet republics to decline. So not only is this a political and economic conflict, this new Cold War, It is also an ideological conflict. And of course, those things materially reinforce each other. And specifically, this manifesto, this 5,000-word manifesto, this joint declaration by China and Russia, makes it clear that the ideological split is over imperialism. On one side is the United States and its NATO allies, which are defending a status quo based on unilateralism and interventionism. So U.S. unipolar hegemony. On the other side are China, Russia, the Eurasian powers and their allies. You can throw Iran in there as well, which are building a new system rooted in multilateralism and sovereignty, respect for national sovereignty of countries. The joint statement says the world is going through momentous changes. Humanity is entering a new era of rapid development in profound transformation. And in this new era, quote, a trend has emerged toward redistribution of power in the world. That's a very interesting quote that China and Russia say, a redistribution of power. The center of power is no well, this is this is my commentary. They didn't say this part. I my commentary my article in the article I say, the center of power is no longer concentrated in the capitals of transatlantic western colonialist powers. The East and the South have risen. And what is the model that they're proposing as the alternative? I I write that they could hardly have been more straightforward in their 5,000-word joint statement. China and Russia, quote, condemn the practice of interference in the internal affairs of other states for geopolitical purposes. And instead, they call to, quote, establish a just multipolar system of international relations. And in this this declaration, this joint statement, they use the word multipolar four times and the word multilateral 11 times. So that is the ideological split in this new Cold War. So I'm not gonna go through this entire article because it's long. I'm certainly not gonna go through the entire 5,000 word statement, but I'm gonna summarize a few other main points because I think it helps us understand that this new Cold War that the U.S., and NATO are waging on China and Russia. Yes, it is political and economic in terms of the different political and economic interests of the U.S., which wants to control Russia's, prevent Russia from exporting gas to Europe to make Europe dependent on U.S. gas exports and oil. It wants to get access to To the chinese markets that russia has access to it wants to get access to the russian markets it wants to privatize russia state state companies like gazprom it wants to privatize the chinese banking sector all of those things that 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 u.s capitalists on wall street are desperate to do that is of course the main the main material forces driving the new cold war but there also is an ideological underpinning there are ideological battles happening here that we need to understand because ideology materially ideology dialectically reinforces materialism and vice versa. That's how materialism dialectical materialism operates. Ideolo- ideology is shaped by material forces and ideology also shapes those the actions of those material forces. So it's a dialectical relationship. So we need to understand the ideology that the Eurasian powers are promoting as an alternative to U.S. unipolar hegemony, as an alternative to the so-called New World Order that U.S. President and former CIA Director George H.W. Bush declared after the overthrow of the Soviet Union in the Eastern Bloc, in which he said that the U.S. is now the, the unipolar hegemon, the emperor of the world, and as Figures in the Bush administration later, the later Bush administration called for full spectrum dominance. That is in the 1990s, the U.S. had total unipolar hegemony and it's desperate to try to maintain that, to return to that era. But China and Russia are saying that that era is dead. We are now in a new era, they say, and that is a new era of multipolarity. And that doesn't mean that U.S. imperialism is dead, certainly not, but it means that there are other, Poles of power in the world, and not all of those po- poles of power are socialist. In the case of Russia, but in the case of China, it is a socialist pole, and it opens new space for revolutionary movements, for leftist movements, for progressive movements, for anti imperialist movements. It opens space, space, space for them to breathe. Whereas, under the unipolar dictatorship of US imperialism, of US capital, of Wall Street, and, and Silicon Valley. There was not that space, which is how the U.S. was able to orchestrate all of these coups and regime change operations and color revolutions throughout the 1990s and the 2000s. China and Russia have declared that we're in a new era after the failure of the Western-backed color revolution in Kazakhstan, the regime change in Kazakhstan. They declared that that was the end of the era of color revolutions, and now they're declaring a new era of multipolarity. So we need to understand their ideology to understand this new Cold War. So let me continue summarizing some of the main points in this article that I wrote. The This historic Chinese and Russian statement, one of the things that marked it was its appeal for de-escalation. It repeatedly insisted that NATO should stop expanding, and it called on NATO to, quote, abandon its ideologized Cold War approaches, to respect the sovereignty, security, and interests of other countries. Now, the use of the word Cold War is important. In this 5,000-word joint statement, China and Russia, they warn three times of the, quote, Cold War mentality of the U.S.-NATO-EU imperialist bloc. So the fact that they use this term Cold War three times is a clear an obvious acknowledgement that they recognize that that the U.S. is waging a new Cold War, a second Cold War. But they're saying that, look, we don't want the new Cold War. We're even willing to acknowledge that the U.S. will be part of this multipolar system. And this is one of the weaknesses of a multipolar system. Like I said, it doesn't mean the end of U.S. imperialism. But what they're telling U.S. imperialism, that you can no longer dominate the entire planet and you must respect the sovereignty of other countries. And that is something that the U.S. constantly violates on a daily basis for fun. It overthrows it or tries to overthrow any independent government. So I talk here about how CIA director turned secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, made, a, made this very clear in a speech that he gave, a very bellicose speech in 2020, at the Richard Nixon Library, in which he declared, quote, we, the freedom-loving nations of the world, must induce China to change. And he said, quote, securing our freedoms from the Chinese Communist Party is the mission of our time. So he made it very clear in this speech, this neoconservative warmonger, Mike Pompeo, that the goal of the U.S. in the new Cold War is is quite clearly to overthrow the government of China. Now, he, he specifically said that the U.S. needs to defeat the Communist Party of China, to overthrow the Communist Party of China, but that is the government of China. So he is, is quite clearly saying that the goal of Washington in the newest, in the new Cold War is to overthrow the government of China and install a pro-Western regime. And the fact that he did this at the Richard Nixon Library and Museum is very important, because in his speech he says that Richard Nixon made a mistake. He says that the the Henry Kissinger visit to to China, to China in 1971 and then the, the Nixon visit to China in 1972, the alliance that the US made with China against the Soviet Union was a mistake, he says, because the US assumed that that China would simply allow capitalism to be restored and and allow the West, the U.S.-led imperialist bloc, to subordinate China's interests to U.S. imperialism, to turn China into a junior partner of imperialism like the European Union and like Canada. And China refused to do that. And also Russia refused to do that, by the way. And Russia's model is not a socialist model, but it, it, in a resource nationalist way, it has refused to subordinate its interests to the United States in a similar way. And this has led to this growing alliance between China and Russia. And let me go back to this article that I wrote at multipolarista.com on this important manifesto, if you will, this joint statement by China and Russia. I mentioned that in 2021, NATO's de facto think tank, the Atlantic Council, published something that it calls the Longer Telegram. Now, the Longer Telegram is a reference directly to the long telegram. Now, you might remember this in your history classes in school if it was mentioned. I have up on the screen, the Atlantic Council's longer telegram toward a new American China strategy. Now, what is the long telegram? The long telegram was sent by the cold warrior, George Kennan, who was a US diplomat who helped to create US containment policy toward the Soviet Union. George Kennan wrote this telegram, originally coining the term containment, warning that the Soviet Union would not just become a compliant US puppet and that it had to be contained, that its government eventually needed to be had needed regime change. So the longer telegram is basically stating the same thing for China. And it is anonymous. Which makes it clear that this is, this is an anonymous call by NATO and the U.S. government to overthrow the government of China. And here are the main key points of the longer telegram, again, published by the Atlantic Council, which is NATO's de facto think tank. They say that China, the rise of China, is the, quote, single most important challenge facing the United States and the so-called democratic world. We all know what that means. It means the white Western imperialist countries. And they say that the U.S. so far had no national strategy, so it needed to create one. And it says the U.S. strategy must be focused on the fault lines among Xi and his inner circle, aimed at changing their objectives and behaviors, and thus their strategic course. So what they're calling for is, destabilizing President Xi. They recognize that President Xi represents a turn back toward the left in in the Communist Party of China. He has a more explicitly anti-imperialist foreign policy and a more left-wing foreign uh, economic policy, excuse me, and, well, also foreign policy, and that they recognize that they need to replace Xi with a more pro-Western leader, and they need to divide him and his inner circle. So this is a call for regime change in the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China. And finally, they say very clearly that they must force China to, quote, continue operating within the U.S.-led liberal international order rather than building a rival order. This is the explicitly stated goal, to prevent China from being able to build a rival order, which by the way, is the Eurasian order that I'm talking about in this video. And they, they, they needed to, they, they're desperate to try to force China to continue operating within the U S led international order. What they're saying there is within U S imperialism. So they want to force China to continue to subordinate its interests to U S imperialism as it did in the 1980s and the 1990s. They want China to go back to being a weak, subservient country that cannot challenge U.S. imperialism, that is a partner to, or at least subordinate to, U.S. imperialism. That is the explicitly stated goal of NATO. Now, China and Russia, again, they have very smart diplomats. They know exactly what all of these Western warmongers are saying, and they are are creating an alternative they are saying, look, we don't want this Cold War that the U.S. is waging. We don't want it. But if you are so insistent on waging it, then we are going to respond to you. And we are going to defend ourselves. So this brings us to this more than 5,000-word manifesto. I, 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 My analysis is that their joint statement they released on February 4th following the meeting between she and putin was their joint response it was their way of responding to these documents like the longer telegram it was their way of responding to to speeches like pompeo's speech at the richard nixon richard nixon library and the alternative that they're promoting is multipolarity and they describe it as quote the establishment of a new kind of relationship between world powers on the basis of mutual respect peaceful coexistence and mutually beneficial cooperation instead of conflict. So I also point out that this meeting that was held in Beijing between Xi and Putin, the first meeting they had since the beginning of the the pandemic, it also came at a time of very high crisis, high tensions between NATO and Russia. And as at a time when the Russian government is blatantly criticizing nato which is pretty incredible seeing them openly criticize nato for its wars in afghanistan and libya and yugoslavia and criticizing nato for refusing to acknowledge any of moscow's security concerns while continuing to try to militarily encircle russia so while the us and britain are pushing for war against russia via ukraine in a proxy war in ukraine and while they're pushing for secession, independence, separatism in Taiwan, we see that China and Russia are further unifying and they are releasing joint statements calling for consolidation, not division of the international community and the need for cooperation, not confrontation. So this is what they're saying. They're saying, look, if you're gonna wage this new Cold War on us, which we recognize because we use the term Cold, cold War three times in the statement, if you continue to do this to us, we don't want this war. We, we, were, we were telling the world that we want peace. We want to be able to coexist. We want we, we will recognize your security red lines if you recognize our security red lines. But, but, here's a big but. If you refuse to recognize our security red lines, if you refuse to engage in diplomacy with, with us and, and, acknowledge that we also have political and economic and security interests, then we can and will defend ourselves. And here is a crucial line in the joint statement they released. They say that the, this is an exact quote, quote, the new interstate relations between Russia and China are superior to political and material, excuse me, They are superior to political and military alliances of the first Cold War. I added first. So they're saying that that the new China and Russia alliance is stronger than the political and military alliances of the Cold War, of the previous Cold War. So that is a clear sign to the U.S., NATO, and the European Union saying, look, and also Australia and Canada and the other junior partners of U.S. imperialism. They're saying, look, in Britain, saying, look, if you are so insistent on continuing to wage this new Cold War, we are going to defend ourselves. And by the way, we are stronger united now than the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact ever was. So it's quite an incredible statement. And then here, I'm not going to read all of this because it's very long, but it, it's, it summarizes the the calls for multipolarity and non-intervention in the affairs of other countries, which is the, this is what China and Russia are proposing. Mutual trust, mutual understanding, peace, equality, justice. And they say that some actors representing the minority on the international scale, a clear reference to the United States. They continue to advocate unilateral approaches and they use force. They're, t- they're talking about U.S. invasion of Iraq, the war on Libya, the war on Syria. They interfere in the internal affairs of other states. So they're explicitly distinguishing their call for a multipolar model from the U.S. model, the, from U.S. imperialism, from the model built on interference and coups and regime change operations and wars. Now, they also use an important phrase in this statement. They call for strengthening the quote, international law based world order, which is a clear reference to the US government's attempt to popularize this idea of the so called rules based international order, as opposed to the international law based international order. Now, this is an attempt that not only has the Biden administration been using, but the Trump administration used. Mike Pompeo's State Department was using this. And this is a bipartisan attempt in the U.S. to try to erase international law because the U.S. can't control international law. And it's trying to replace the United Nations and the International Criminal Court and the U.N. Charter with so-called rules, which are vaguely defined and which are determined by the U.S. So Russia and China are saying clearly that, quote, the Chinese and Russian ambassadors to the United States, they also published a joint article in November. So this this came a few months before this February manifesto, but it echoes many of the same talking points. It's very similar. And it shows, I mean, this is incredible. It shows how much the Chinese and Russian governments are directly coordinating together because they're both being targeted by the U.S. in the new Cold War. And they wrote in this November article, they wrote, quote, there is only one international system in The world, i.e. the international system with the United Nations at its core. So they're saying that that trying to talk about a so-called rules-based international order without referencing the UN and international law is is the US trying to replace international law with its own rules that it creates. And they say that is obviously anti-democratic. So an- another thing they do in the statement is they point out that they're defending real democracy, not the fake democracy of the Western capitalist powers in which, quote, people are only wake awakened when casting their votes and sent back into hibernation when the voting is over. This is pretty incredible. This is I think this is actually more coming from China than Russia. But this is the this is the Chinese government, the Communist Party of China, saying that the U.S. is not a real democracy that we are a real democracy. And in their joint statement, they refer to China's socialist democracy, as they say. So this is them saying the U.S. is not a real democracy because in the U.S., quote, people are only awakened when casting their votes and sent back to hibernation when the voting is over. So this is China saying openly that the U.S. is not a democracy because the people have no control over the actual government. All they do is they vote every few years and then they have no control over what happens. And another, in another, and a clear rejection of the the so-called liberal interventionist ideology of the U.S. government. China and Russia, they defend a a broader understanding of what democracy and human rights mean, and then they criticize the cynical quote abuse of democratic values and interference in the internal affairs of sovereign states under the pretext of protecting democracy and human rights. Another incredible statement. This is them, without saying the, the U.S., everyone knows who they're referencing. They're criticizing the U.S. for invading countries and organizing coups and regime change operations and interfering in other countries under the pretext of so-called democracy and human rights. Again, this is, this is an incredible statement. Now, what, we know what, what ideologically China and Russia are calling for. Multipolarity, sovereignty, non-intervention, mutual cooperation, win-win cooperation, as the Chinese say. That's what they're calling opposed to the, the U.S. hegemonic model of unipolarity dominated by Wall Street. But what other institutions are they hoping to use to advocate for this model? And this comes to the point in this manifesto, if you will, in which China and Russia called to democratize the United Nations and they called to strengthen the BRIC system, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union. They called to democratize the United Nations and to quote, seek genuine multipolarity within the United Nations and its Security Council. That's an acknowledgement that the the UN is still too dominated by the Western powers And when they say the Security Council specifically, that's a hint that they probably would support expanding the permanent members of the Security Council, because right now the permanent members of the Security Council are the Western imperialist powers and then also China and Russia, because those were the victors of the Second Cold War. So the U.S., Britain, France, China, and Russia. But Britain and France are minor powers. Why do they have... Permanent members' seats on the Security Council with permanent veto power, but not Brazil, not India, not Indonesia, not these massive countries that are Japan, that are some of the biggest countries in the world. So it's it's a it's a hint that China and Russia would also support expanding the Security Council, and they want to weaken Western hegemony over the UN. They call for strengthening the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in shaping a polycentric world order based on international law and multilateralism. And they also call for strengthening the strategic partner of the BRICS, that's the B-R-I-C-S framework, which brings together Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. So this is another very important part. And they want to integrate... China's massive Belt and Road Initiative. This is its global infrastructure project. They want to integrate that with the Russian-led economic bloc, the Eurasian Economic Union. So they're talking about integrating the Chinese and Russian economies and all of the other Eurasian states in Central Asia, like Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and others, with the Belt and Road Initiative, which now includes over 140 countries. So they're talking about moving the center of the global economy back East as it was before the rise of the European colonialist powers. They're trying to bring back the new Silk Road and change the hearts of the global economic system. So finally, the Chinese foreign ministry after this meeting between Xi and Putin, they, they published a readout summarizing the main points of their discussions. And in this, They criticized U.S. unilateralism in in interference and they called for a reform of the global governance system, calling for true multilateralism that safeguards the true spirit of democracy. So that's another, another hint that the U.S. government exploits terms like multilateralism and democracy, but superficially and cynically, and doesn't actually mean it. They call for true multilateralism, and true democracy, and they call for a system of, quote, international fairness and justice. And they repeated that phrase three times in the, the China's foreign, Chinese foreign policy state, uh, foreign ministry statement, calling for upholding sovereignty, so, and calling for effectively countering external interference. So this is yet another statement, just summarizing these points. These are the ideological splits. Of the new Cold War. Now, like I said, there are materialist reasons. There are political and economic reasons, geoeconomic reasons, geostrategic reasons driving the new Cold War. But we have to listen to study, analyze what China and Russia are saying. I hear in my journalism and multipolarista, in my videos here, I try to, to analyze the new cold war and what the u.s is doing the western imperialist powers i do that a lot i report on that a lot but i think it's very important also to listen to what the eurasian powers are saying to get their perspective because only then can we understand the actual internal moving parts of this new cold war what is driving it what are the contradictions the external contradictions the internal contradictions What are the political and economic interests? And what are the the ideological lines that this new Cold War is being waged on? And that's why I spent so much time in this video going through this very important statement. Because it's not going to be analyzed in mainstream Western corporate media. If if it's acknowledged at all, it is acknowledged very superficially. But it's clear that the Chinese and the Russian governments spent a lot of time Their foreign ministries, their diplomats spend a lot of time working together, collaborating on this more than 5,000 word joint statement. So we should study it and understand it. And we should also heed their warnings because in this statement, they repeatedly say, we do not want a Cold War. We are saying this as loudly as we can on the international stage. No Cold War. We don't want it. But if the U.S. and NATO and the European Union are, are insistent on waging that war, that new Cold War, we are going to defend ourselves. And we are going to defend ourselves and we are going to defend and promote this particular model of multipolarity and sovereignty and respect for self-determination of nations. So thank you for joining me in this very long video, but I hope it was informative in some way and I will continue doing more reports in the future, analyzing the new Cold War.